Did you know that the perfect snack exists that not only has the yum factor, because that's important, but also packs a real protein punch? I'm talking about Wonderful Pistachios, a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Now that's a snack you can feel really good about. It's hard for me to currently pick a fave because they have several flavors to choose from, including no salt and jalapeno lime options. But if I absolutely had to, I'd say I'm in my no shells, wonderful pistachios, sea salt and vinegar era. It's the ultimate snacking solution for when you need a quick, convenient and tasty boost of pistachio goodness straight out of the bag. Whether you enjoy the ritual of cracking open each nut or you lean towards the ease of no shells, Wonderful Pistachios has something for everyone. It's time to elevate your snacking game with Wonderful Pistachios. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, hey, welcome back for another riveting episode of the Brown Girl Self-Care Podcast. My name is Bree, and I'm the host of this show this is your first time listening thank you so much for checking me out checking out the brown girl self-care podcast if you've been rolling with me for some time now I appreciate you and I'm so glad that you decided to tune in today today I have an awesome awesome episode I'm speaking with Rebecca Ferguson Uh, she's a licensed mental health counselor based out of NYC and today we're going to be talking about her experience experiences as I mean, this she has had an incredible life. Um, and I don't want to give too much away. But uh, I will just say her experience being a black woman growing up in a religious cult. Um, if that's not enough for you to to press play or continue listening, I don't know what is but uh, she we talk about her experiences as being, you know, quote unquote, one of the only ones, um, her struggling with her identity in this religious cult and in this environment, dealing with microaggressions and, and all kinds of stuff and how she was able to um, get back in alignment with herself. So this is a super great episode. Rebecca is so honest and transparent. And I really appreciate her um, sharing her experience. So I will go ahead and get to it. But I do want to say that this episode was recorded actually quite some time ago, and I kind of goofed. Um, So some of the views that I discuss in this episode, particularly pertaining to yoga and meditation, um, have since changed. So I would encourage you to listen to this entire episode. And then at the end, I do um, for a couple of minutes, just kind of talk about some of my views and how things have changed. So this episode is a little long, but you will get a lot out of it. Um, I'll go ahead and get into it right now. Here you go. Hey, Rebecca, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Why don't you uh, take a second before we dive in and introduce yourself? Thank you so much for having me on. Um, So as far as like my background, my name is Rebecca Ferguson. I'm a licensed mental health counselor with about 11 years of experience working with people um, that have different mental health 
conditions from depression to anxiety, PTSD, and other, um, you know, severe and persistent mental illnesses. I have also done a lot of background training in like dialectical behavior therapy skills and cognitive behavioral therapy skills. So I really try to apply that to um, people suffering from various conditions and specifically religious identity conflicts, issues with self-esteem and like complex personal struggles related to racial and ethnic injustices. So I'm based out of New York City. I've mm -hmm. been here actually for three years. Before that, I lived in Southeast Massachusetts. And before that, I lived in upstate New York. All right. All right. All right. Perfect. So, you know, you sent me an email and I was instantly like, I instantly wanted to hear your story. You you just have a lot. You have a lot. You've experienced a lot. You, I'm sure you surely know a lot. Um, and I'm excited to have the listeners learn more about you learn more about your history, and also get some great takeaways. So um, the thing that stood out to me amongst everything that you said in your email, I'm just going to read this if it's okay, the exact quote, is you said you were born and raised in an evangelical Christian society that you later came to realize met all the standards for a cult, including the resulting effects of homeschooling and isolation. Yes, that yes, that's that right there is is a lot. Um, let's go ahead and talk about that if you if you're okay with that. I want to know more about. So you said you were born and raised in this society, this Christian society that basically you realized it was it was. Can I just say it was basically a cult? Can you tell me more about about that? Sure. Um. So I so how I ended up. So I was born in upstate New York and how my family ended up there is because there was this person in Florida where my parents met each other and they were successful there. They were um, actually working at Kennedy Space Center, but they met this person who um, decided that it was, he said that God told him that everyone should move to upstate New York and kind of form their own community. And so, you know, on one hand, I think for a lot of people that were in that group that felt good. It felt like, okay, I'm going to fit in somewhere. Um, for my mom in mm -hmm. particular, and I was not born at that time, but I, like I know for her in particular, she was very close to her family. So that was an odd experience to just up and leave her family without really having a lot of explanation that made sense for them. Um, but anyway, so they moved to this little isolated place in upstate New York that was extremely um, predominantly like white neighborhood, which led to a lot of discrimination for my dad on his job, which then like trickled down into like more stress within the home. And so I think for me as an adult, as I started to like process a lot of this issue, a lot of these issues and really started to look at the impact that this whole decision that was supposedly, you know, made by God, according to the person, the, the, the person who said this, um, mm -hmm. just really thinking about how it affected my family and how it affects us currently. and just really feeling like angry about it and having to really mm -hmm. go through that whole process of, of really talking about it. Cause it was not easy to talk about, but I think for me to address that issue, that was the only way I ever actually got to a place where I actually, you know, felt like I was living my life that the way I was supposed mm -hmm. to be living it and not like this prescription, seemed like before it was this prescription that was someone else's prescription, but I was taking it and it didn't feel right. It felt mm -hmm. messy. It didn't feel authentic. 
it, it, it felt constantly like stress riddled and anxiety riddled and what am I doing? And granted, those feelings persist in different situations, but I just mean as a, as a baseline, that was my life for a while. And I really had to figure out what that was about. And in doing that, that's where I really had to go back and address this issue of, of, of this group that turned out to be a cult. Mm, my, my, my. Wow. So, like, can you give me an age range of, I think you said you weren't born when they first moved to, what was it New York, upstate New York? Yes. So, okay. Yes. Yeah, so this was probably, they moved there, I want to say in the late seventies, I was born, mm-hmm. um, I was born in like the early eighties. Mm-hmm. So I was born in upstate New York and that's where I grew up until, um, I, you know, I went to college, which was not something I planned to do, but at the time I just knew I needed something different. So I ended up going yeah. away. Um, but I, I was born at home. Like I was born upstate and me and my younger sister, but all my other siblings, which I have um, three that were born to my parents and then one half sister, they were born in Florida, the other three. Wow. So like what, what age did you, and we're going to go back, but ultimately what age were you when you kind of started to break away? I would say I was probably 18 because that's when I, I, yeah, I had no idea what I, I hit originally because I love makeup. And I like hair and I'm like interested in all of those things. And so when I was in high school, my goal was to just go to cosmetology school. Um, I wanted to go to cosmetology school. I wanted to do makeup. I don't know if you remember those magazines. I don't know if they still are around, but it was called Sophisticates Black Hair. It was like these Sophisticates Black Hair. Yes. 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 So, yes, I have... <laughs> I, I, I pretty much sorry like, no it's okay but that was like my thing I used to like I pretty much worked on and off since I was 11 and I used to like be so excited on like payday to like I was gonna go get the new sophisticates black hair magazine and I would just look at like how people were doing their hair mm-hmm. and like different makeup trends and so that's what I really wanted to do um and then I think the thing that ended that um, career path for me was when I was looking around what was offered and I realized uh, if I did that, that I would not be able to live away. Like I would, like they didn't have dorms, right? So like a lot of the cosmetology schools mm-hmm. would force you to stay where you were and you would have to commute. And I was like, no, no, no. Like if I'm going to uh, go somewhere, I need, I need to like actually be able to yep. live away and like go away. And so that's actually how I ended up yeah. going to a four-year school. Okay. Got it. Cause it was like, you needed to kind of escape. I'm imagining. Yes. You probably yeah, yeah, for sure. So I know that you mentioned, or in the email, you mentioned that basically you were homeschooled and you just felt, or you felt isolated and you probably were, in fact, obviously very isolated for a few reasons. Um, was it a part of the, the cult or the religion that you had to be homeschooled? Is that how that happened? Or what was the, the thought process behind that? Because homeschooling is not, it's a, it's a great thing. Um, and I know a lot of black families are moving to homeschooling or have moved to homeschooling, but it sounds like the experience that you had, it just wasn't the positive overall experience that one would hope to have. Right. So I think there were definitely things that, you know, have helped me as far as like a really good work ethic. I think they, that, that's, that's set up really enforced like phonics and being able to like, spell and write and script and 
there's a lot of things that were positive takeaways from it. But I think the thing Mm -hmm. that weighed the most heavily on me and my siblings were just the feeling of isolation and always Mm -hmm. having this feeling of like, when are we going to be normal? (laughs) So like Mm. you, you go, you go grocery shopping, you go to amusement parks and you see people out and about having fun. And you see girls wearing like, you know, shorts and like tank tops and t-shirts. And it's kind of, I think as a child, there's that like natural tendency to want to just be like the other people that you see around you. Um, And I, yes. And I think that's the piece that most often, it was very obvious to us that we were extremely different. Um, Not only were we like a few of, we were like a handful of black people (laughs) in a very Mm. like um, white town. So of course that stood out. Um, it stood out that when you go to the drugstore, you can't buy hair products that like actually work for your hair or like makeup. Like th- there's just a lot of things. I mean, we're not allowed to wear makeup. We would try to like sneak and buy it. But even when we snuck mm-hmm. and buy it, there were no like shades that actually fit our skin tone. So there's a lot of, <laughs> of <there> course. Was, <laughs> <laughs> right. But back then, yeah. but, but back then, like, it's just kind of like, oh, this is what pe- I actually didn't even know. Then this is how this is actually really funny at one point because I was so unaware of like makeup and different shades. I remember thinking that people just used compacts to like block mm-hmm. sh- to block shine off their face. Right. So one time yeah. I like I sneaked and I like bought a compact, but it was not a compact in my skin color. <laughs> so I, I, didn't know, I didn't know I didn't know the difference. <laughs> so that's <laughs> so when I talk about I isolation like I I think that's a good example because I literally and it wasn't just me like me or my sisters didn't know and so I found out because um when I finally did go to public school for the first time I think I was in I was in seventh grade and I was you know I was in the mirror like blotting my face and someone was kind of like oh why is she using like white why is she using um, white (laughs) white compact and yeah and here I thought it was because people used to use baby powder sometimes to blot like sweat and shine so I was like oh it's white because it's like baby powder like that was my like pre-pubescent like reasoning like oh yeah look it's white and I wouldn't put too much because I didn't want to look like a ghost but I would put like enough to make my face not look shiny but clearly no clearly no nope 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 nope. (laughs) and you know it's crazy because growing up black it's already an experience as it is. Um, we already have certain struggles just automatically based yes. on the color of our skin, the environments that we live in, et cetera. Um, so you not only have that, but yes. then you're being homeschooled. So you probably feel a little awkward about that. I could imagine that you probably didn't have a lot of friends that looked like you or maybe right. not even a lot of friends at all. Um, so you're dealing with that. Now I have two questions that mm. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you. <laughs> so when I hear the word cult, okay, mm. I'm going back to, oh, the, game, the guy's name, not Jim Brown. What was the name of that guy that Jim, had like Jim the, Jones. Uh, Jim Jones. Jim, I said Jim Brown, Lord have mercy. Yes. Jim <laughs> Jones. So my two questions are number one, was there any Kool-Aid involved? And number two, were you walking around? I just get when you're talking, I get this whole this whole little house on the prairie vibe where you're walking around with like this pilgrim hat on and you have on long sleeve shirt and a long sleeve or like a skirt down to your ankles and like some bir- like Birkenstocks or something like that. <laughs> like 
(laughs) (laughs) And I'm not trying to make light of your situation, obviously. Um, But can you tell me, first of all, about the Kool-Aid and was there Kool-Aid and the clothes? And then tell me more about what made this a cult in your eyes. So the the good thing is by the time I was old enough to remember a lot of what I'm talking. So, okay, let me, let me backtrack. So my parents came Mm -hmm. up here with this group and then they actually, my, my father and my mother realized what was happening. Um, One of the things I think that made them realize this was a lie was the fact that this person was kind of like, Oh, we're going to move to upstate New York. We're going to build like a community building where we're all going to worship and just share this space. And then what ended up happening is him and his family ended up moving into that building that like everyone else had put their money and time and resources into. Um, Mm -hmm. And and not only that, like they found out he was like stealing their tithes and offerings, but Oh yeah. And before, and before that happened too. And when my, you know, when there were concerns that were brought up from my parents, they were shamed, like, and they were kind of, um, I think he was, you know, this person called my dad something to the effect of, kind of like, oh, don't listen, because my dad had stood up in in the group and, and, and kind of spoken out against because the, the person, the leader had said it's better to receive than to give. He flipped like it's better to give than to receive and was like, no, it's actually better to receive than to give. And so when my father mm-hmm. said something, he um, said, oh, don't listen to him. He's a chorus spirit. And so, which I guess for people that are in that community, like calling someone a chorus spirit is very, it's like a very derogatory, like negative, um, negative thing, pretty much to say that you mm-hmm. shouldn't trust this person. And so, oh, wow. yeah. And so all that to say that there, when, when I, cause I've, I've always been very curious about like religious groups and like how people think in groups and move and make really like seemingly like drastic decisions in groups. And so when I started to look more into cults and like, um, Jim Jones is a great example, and thankfully there was no Kool Aid, as far as I know. Like no one was killed. <laughs> like great, thank, you know, thank God nobody died. Um, yes, but there was definitely that very, that very, um, you know, come into our group. We're gonna like love bomb you, and we're going to set really like strict hierarchies, right? And then say, and then this leader is gonna say that I'm the communicator with God, and God told me to do this. God told me to move to upstate New York. God told me that it's actually better to um, to receive than to give. I know in the Bible, mm, like, because they, mm. they were they were a group of people that were actually su- supposedly um, following the Bible. And so he said, I know in the Bible, it says it's better to give than to receive. But God told me it's better to receive than to give. And so but he put himself in this position of power where no matter what he said, people believed him. Um, mm-hmm. And so that and, and I, you know, just the the fact that he said this and then my parents um and this is where i think women really have to trust their intuition and their gut because my mom never wanted to move to upstate new york um she mm-hmm. never wanted to quit the kennedy space center that's where her and my dad met but my father was a little bit more like i like i think we should do this um and so they went there and come to find out it was a big sham i mean they ended up out they pretty much ended up separating from that group but then a lot of those practices continued. So even after they were no longer part of that group, the, the homeschooling continued, the wearing long, you know, wearing the long skirt, the no makeup and no earrings continued. Um, and 
I think if, if people, but I think the thing that's most harmful that continued is just like the isolation and those patterns of just really wanting to have like ultimate control over like everything mm-hmm. and not, and not allowing for individual personalities and individual like experiences to, to thrive. Mm. So how did that shape you as, as you began to go from being a baby to, you know, obviously a toddler then a, a small child, and then now you're entering your young womanhood. So how did that shape you as, as a young woman? It just always, I, you know, I think I've always <laughs> probably to the annoyance of a lot of people. And maybe, you know, I think to people in my family, I've just, it's always made me very skeptical and just questioning of things. Um, you know, I think when I was little, there was always for me, like, because of the group that we grew up in and, and that experience, um, religious experience, there always was a de- like a double standard in society. This isn't, this is a problem at large, obviously. This is nothing new, but me as a child, not knowing that and not really knowing the language to speak to that, there was always different standards for my brothers and for my sisters and I. And so I would always ask questions about that. I mean, at one point, um, we were vegetarian and like my brothers somehow were able to eat meat before us. And I was like, well, why can they eat? <laughs> like, why can they mm. eat meat? Like I want to eat meat, but it led to other things too, like them being able to go to prom and us not being able to go to prom. And so like, there was always these things where I felt like, why do they get to have the fun? And why do we have to like, just watch it happening? Wow. Um, so was that, and- was that a cultural, like religious kind of thing because they were boys or was that just, in general, you know, like um, life I, in general. I, I think it was a, it, I think that it was a cultural slash religious thing because there was always this mentality that like women are the one, women are kind of the gatekeepers um, and kind of putting this responsibility on sexual morality on women. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, girls can't go to prom because everybody knows what happens at prom. Um, and I, I think it was just kind of that type of like unspoken that that unspoken assumption that like yeah girls can't go because we know what's going to happen but it's okay if the boys go and if they do whatever to somebody else's daughter then that's fine and no one ever said that but that was kind of the undertone right like it's kind of like oh boys Mm -hmm. will be boys and you know if they do what they do it's 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 you know it's that father's problem so to speak Mm -hmm. um and so stuff like that i've always paid close attention to it's really shaped how i um you know, and I, I, I think just be, you know, we, cause everyone has blind spots, obviously, like we all have these blind spots in our personalities. And I think I've always just tried to question like my own. And I think when some of the tension that happened that kind of made me want to leave my house is because I felt like it was getting to a point where we just weren't on the same page. Um, mm-hmm. and I just felt like, okay, we need to like, we just, we, we need, we need, we need some space. <laughs> we need some space. Yeah. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Um, so a part of your message, you mentioned that, and I want to kind of talk about this. You've mentioned it before too, on the, on the, on this, during the session that you were primarily in a white environment, which yes. has its own set of challenges, you know? Um, yes. But then you add the whole religious and cultish kind of situation to it. And it's just a, it's just all over the place. But um, 
what was that like being a young black girl and just being in such a a sea of white people and not necessarily having a lot of reflections of, of you for like the type of hair you have perhaps, or your skin color or, you know, things that quote unquote black people kind of are naturally drawn to just as we are, you know what I mean? What was it like to just be thrust upon this sea of whiteness and trying to gain your sense of identity? It always felt, extremely forced and uncomfortable I think and now that I look back on it I can now put language to what was happening I can say like oh it's because there were there were a lot of microaggressions happening around me but at the time it you know sometimes microaggressions aren't quote-unquote provable so there's like Mm -hmm. back back then there wasn't a language around it and it just it just left me in a constant state of being uncomfortable um, and then also feeling like, I don't know, like, like no matter what, some of my parents would always tell us, like, when you go into grocery stores, like, make sure you don't put your hands in your pockets because people are going to think that you, you're stealing. Um, they would, you know, they would kind of say these other things about like, you know, making sure that we pretty much did above and beyond what everybody else did. Um, and I think that's something that when I was little, I actually believed like okay if I do this this and that then things will be fine but there were you know I remember my first job was when I was 11 and Hmm. at that point I was high because my my parents have always been like um people that grew their own vegetables and so that it was kind of a natural job for me to take on it was a natural job to take on and that job was fine I did I was I had I earned my first paycheck I think it was like 53 dollars and I was like ooh, I'm rich (laughs) like (laughs) yeah I was, I was feeling great about myself. Um, but I think, you know, I remember when I was in high school, I think I was in 10th grade. I remember going to a local grocery store. Um, I don't know if you guys, if you guys have heard of IGA, it's like International Grocers Association or whatever. But anyway, I went mm-hmm. to that store and the owner was actually a, like one of my neighbors. And I would always ask like, oh, are you guys hiring? Are you guys hiring? And he would always kind of look at me and kind of like, smirk a little bit and say no um mm, but then mm-hmm. I would, we would and the thing is too that adds another layer to this is we would shop there so like my mom would go there and get groceries because she was always like support local which is great except I think we did if had we known that the local was also <laughs> racist we wouldn't be supporting local so he but my yeah. point is he never he never hired me he kept saying fill out an application we're not hiring but like every time we would go grocery shopping one of my peers from school would have been hired to work there um, wow. there was that situation. There was also a, another situation with my neighbor who I used to babysit for, but mm-hmm. he was asking me like, Oh, how did you guys end up in, in, in the town we were in? And, um, and you know, I said a group of us not, I mean, at this time I was literally probably like 14 or 15 and I just was like, Oh yeah, a group of people. Cause I didn't want to, at the time I didn't know it was a cult and I didn't want to like get too descriptive too either for him. So I just said a group of us moved from Florida and then he just he said, Oh, Oh, did you move up here in a gang? Um, and this oh, is a grown wow. man. This is a grown man in his early forties, like asking this to like a 15, 14, 15 year old girl. And then, wow. um, yeah. And, and later there was his, his daughter who's innocent and like so cute, but she was like, <laughs> she was like five at the time. I think she said we were watching a music video and like Brandy came on and she said, 
Mm-hmm. Dad, and she just randomly said, Daddy doesn't like black people. And so I, I kind of like looked at her and then she said, oh, don't worry. He just doesn't like black men. And she's so, wow. she doesn't know. She's literally five years old. And so, but I, but I think that was an, that was kind of an affirmation for that comment he made about, did you move up here in a gang and just some other odd interactions that were had. And I think looking back on it, it just, there's, there's like an unsettled, just like anger because I think like how did how like I at that time I was like a teenager I was like a child and so the fact that you're asking me to babysit your kids but do you know what like it's just the, the the complexity like all the complexities of of that dynamic wow 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 yeah. so it's like my my question is when when were you allowed to be black like in your experience was there like, did you ever, when you were a kid, like do typical, I hate to say, say typical things, but I remember like parts of my childhood, um, I, you know, like having the cornrows with the little beads on the end and, you know, hanging oh, yeah. out with cousins and, you know, that kind of stuff. Did you get to experience that kind of stuff when you were growing up? No, that's a good question. So my I did. So I've always, my, my mom always did our hair. It was like me and my other two sisters that actually, that lived in that family at the time, like would do cornrows, would do like box braids. And then when we got old enough, we mm-hmm. were actually allowed to get like the hair extensions. We had that experience. We also did go okay. to Florida. We would go back to Florida mm-hmm. um, like once a year, once every other year so that we could visit my mom's family and my dad's family and like hang out with the cousins and do like family mm-hmm. reunions and that type stuff. So, and, and, you know, the electric slide, which, you know, none of us knew how to do at the time, but we, we learned that family <laughs> reunions. Uh, yes. <laughs> but so we, we, yes. There was, yeah. There, there were pockets of it. And I like, and then you go back home, like, and you always miss it. So you go there, you experience it for like a week or so, but then you're, you know, you're back um, at home base. And so, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. was going to say, you come back, so you've had this fun experience <laughs> with your fa- your mom, your dad, your family. You're getting, you know, you're getting your summer tan, and you come back dark, and you've just had an amazing experience. And then you come back, and you're just, like, right back to, you know, the microaggressions and and just having to, like you said, code switch and, and be yes. very aware of who you are in this space and not be able to just be Rebecca, you know, just, just be Rebecca. You were just, you, but you had, you were Rebecca, the black girl, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, and I think the part that like sits with that frustrates me the most is like, you know, I, I, you know, I did go to college. I, I, I did, I, you know, I've, I've been through my own work, like my own personal work to kind of figure out a person that I'm happy with and where I feel happy, but I feel like my parents are still, and it bothers me because I want them to be happy, but I feel like because of the, the, and, and I, when I look at cults and study them, they all go back to the foundation of like, of white supremacy to me. And to me, Mm. all I see when I see how they're functioning right now is I feel like they have been abused by the systematic white supremacy for so long, but because they are, super religious it's they have there's like a blinder where they don't see the connection and that's been really Mm -hmm. hard to accept um because i mean i have a great relationship with them now it's because i there's an understanding that people do the best that they can do i think my frustration and anger is a lot more 
And people may say like, oh, because it's easier not to be mad at your parents. No, I've been mad at them and I've talked to them. Like I've been through that stage. But I think what I end up with is just their overall like anger at the system that created this. And when you look at, you know, when you really look at cults, Mm -hmm. whether it's Jim with Jim Jones or like other evangelical cults, they really function in the same way that, um, in the systematic same way that like white supremacy does. And, and they were started in essence in this country by that same, you know, like, like the Ku Klux Klan, like they all function in the same way. And I think it's hard for people to see that because religion is, and it's hard to see that because religion is so personal and it's hard to explain to someone that that's connected. Like one thing that's so loved is connected to something else that like we as a society, um, or at least black and ind- and indigenous people of color see as such a horrible thing, right? Like, so it's it's hard to kind of merge yeah. those two. Yeah, I think it's hard for yeah, people to yeah. merge those two. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So you go to college, and you mentioned in your email that you had an amazing guidance counselor in high school who encouraged you to go to college. And that's yes. where your life just kind of started to take off and flourish. And you're now you're getting your glow up and uh, <laughs> you're starting to come. <laughs> you're starting to come into your own. So tell me more about that. Like when when did Rebecca really start to find out what Rebecca, who she was, what she liked, things she enjoyed, things she didn't enjoy? When did she just kind of like, <laughs> I want to say have her whole side. Because, but I'm making a joke when I say that because I just told someone that today. Who showed you that it was okay to aim high and go for your dreams while also just being yourself? For me, it was radio host Big Boy, Oprah, and KTLA news reporter Gail Anderson. In part, these people are the reason why this podcast specifically exists. This is the power of Black representation in media. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is more than a podcast. It's a celebration of Blackness from NPR where every voice is as distinct and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In this collection, you'll find stories of joy, resilience, and empowerment. Each episode, a living account of what it means to be Black today. From the intricate narratives of The Wire to the wisdom of Michelle Obama and the urgent call for reparations, Black Stories, Black Truths really is the truth. Space wasn't always made for our perspective, so NPR's new collection is necessary as it celebrates the richness of the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. My hair is kinky, it's coily, it's beautiful, it's all the things, but the dryness is real, so it's also prone to feeling parched. This is why Waze Anti-Frizz Cream is my new BFF. It not only changes frizz, but helps my hair feel more hydrated. Listen, summer is coming. We are trying to be outside, going to brunch, plus traveling, and summer activities aren't always kind to our strands, okay? So let me tell you what I do for this. I wash my hair every one to two weeks. Don't sleep on Waze Detox Shampoo, by the way, if you have hard water or buildup. I detangle. I smooth in a little of the Way Anti-Frizz Cream, then shingle in my natural gel. My hair is frizz-free, it's hydrated, and it's cute for days. Love sleek styles? Waze Anti-Frizz Cream works as a heat protectant up to 450 degrees as well. 
Frizz-free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code SELFCARE for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com, promo code SELFCARE. Feeling more grounded and relaxed is Black Girl Peace for me. And so I really need that while doing things like uh, tackling my to-do list or even braving this crazy LA traffic. If you know, you know. So something that helps me tap in is Recess Mood. It's a delicious sparkling water made to enhance your relaxation time and mood without any alcohol involved. So what you will get instead is real fruit, mood lifting magnesium, and stress balancing adaptogens. And again, no alcohol plus no added sugar. So I've tried all the flavors and I really, really like strawberry rose. It's like um, a little burst of peace in the middle of chaos because again, for real, navigating this Cali traffic is insane. Now, recess mood is not only my go-to for staying balanced while on the go, but it's also good for chilling at home too. It's like having a little slice of relaxation right in the palm of your hand. So next time you need a little pick-me-up without the alcohol, without the hangover, give recess mood a shot. It's been a fantastic addition to my routine. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com forward slash self-care and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. (laughs) um, And by that, I mean, and by whole side, I mean, now you're wearing, you know, you're wearing jeans and, you know, maybe crop tops and, you know, all that stuff. Like, tell me more about when you really started to discover yourself and just come into your own. I think it definitely started when I went to college. I So I never tried a lot in high school. And so I never really thought about going to school. But um, my guidance counselor was like, you know, Rebecca, your SAT scores are good. Like you should apply to this college and that college. So I applied. I got in. And I remember the first um, week I went there, I was so it was it literally was I mean, it felt like a culture shock and it was really hard to adjust to. But I think it really taught me to try to, you know, to figure out what was happening with me. It's the first time that I actually realized I had really bad test anxiety and had to actually meet with Hmm. um, someone at school to figure out what was happening with me. I had to meet with a counselor there. Um, And by recommendation of one of my math teachers, he was great. He was like, you do really well on the homework, but something happens when you take the test, like you need to figure out what that's about. Hmm. So I did Mm -hmm. that. And that really led to me um, having to do a lot more interpersonal work. And I think it actually came to I feel like I got my glow up when I turned like this was I went to this um institute called it's called Kripalu. It's actually like a wellness center in the Berkshires, but they do a lot mm-hmm. of like they do a lot of like yoga workshops and a lot of um like healing workshops. And I remember there was one quote they said that like really stuck with me, because, I think because I realized I was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> but like, like, I was like, this is not happening. But they said they they said this quote where they were like, you you know, at some point your thoughts and your beliefs and your actions need to line up, right? Like they're never going to be completely linear, but like when you figure out who you are and what you think and what you believe in, you need to make sure that like to the best of your ability, what you're doing actually aligns with that. And I think that's when I really realized, Mm. because I always identified myself as an evangelical Christian, as like a born again Christian and this is nothing against religion mm-hmm. or like, or people that identify mm-hmm. that way. That's fine. But I realized, why am I calling myself that? Like I go out, I drink, 
Like I just, like I'm not actually living that life that I'm trying to pretend I'm supposed to be living. And so I think right. that for me really made me figure out like you need to like pull back and figure out what you're here to do on this earth. Like you need to figure out who God is separate from what evangelical Christianity said. Like you need to figure that out and it's a process, but you need to figure out a way to live your life in a way that actually feels like it fits. Because up until then, it never felt like it fit. It just always felt like mm-hmm. I was trying to like, <laughs> it's like you're, you know, it, it, it just never felt like my life. It felt like I was living something that was prescribed for someone else. Hmm. Gosh. So you said at some point, your thoughts, actions, and beliefs need to line up. Yeah. Yes. And we're human, so they're never going to. Yeah. And I mean, obviously they're never going to line up in a complete linear way, but I think there doesn't need to be drastic like peaks and spikes either. And at one point that's what it felt like. That's when I kind of had a moment of like, okay, like what, Rebecca, what are you doing? (laughs) Like what's what's happening? Um, No. Yeah. I completely get that. I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? What were you going to say? No, 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 no. Go ahead. I was done. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, I completely agree. And you, and I think sometimes we, we get to that point at some point, some maybe sooner than others, but um, when your thoughts and beliefs and actions line up, I think that's when you're more so just kind of like in the right flow of your life. Right. You kind of on this certain path and things just, just, they're just, they're not easy, but they're a little bit easier um, because you kind of know where you're headed. But when you're kind of all over the place, I think that's when life, you're just a little more, I think life is just a little more challenging when things don't quite line up because they're like going, they're so at odds as much as we don't maybe believe it. Like you may think, for example, like you'll think, let's say you think, uh, let's say I am so smart and I can do anything. Like in other words, like an affirmation, like if you're thinking mm-hmm. I'm so smart and I can do anything I put my mind to, but then in mm-hmm. your actions, you know, you're saying other negative things or you're not really doing those types of things that kind of confirm your thoughts or beliefs about right. yourself. When those things don't jive, you know, I think that's yes. where confusion sets in and your life is just kind of, you're just at odds with yourself. Right. If that makes right. any sense. No, it does. Yeah. And it's it's exactly, it, it's, yeah, like there, it, things are all like not in alignment and it, it and you feel it. You, you know, it, it, it's, it's a very tangible experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. that's also so, part of our culture too. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of distractions happening. And so it's very easy to not do the reflective work to get, to get to that point. You know what I mean? Like it's very mm-hmm. easy to like, just avoid um, doing it. Cause it's not easy. And even when you are living a life where your thoughts and beliefs and actions sort of line up, like it doesn't mean it's an easy life, but it just feels it feels more like easeful, even though it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I'm like nodding my head. You can't see me, but I'm totally <laughs> nodding my head and I'm in agreement with you because it's so true. <laughs> I feel like my life is just a little more balanced when everything is just in alignment, one accord, you know, and yeah, it just makes sense. It makes sense. I think I'm less anxious during those times as well. Yes. When I just, yeah, for me, because my anxiety, I, I I tend to get a little more stressed 
mm. out of control or anxious or whatever when when one of the three is just like not in alignment with with everything else so that makes complete sense i love that quote but um, and it take and it doesn't come intuitively though right like it's almost like you have to pull back to figure out which part's not in alignment you know like you have to like pull back right to figure out what yeah because it's like yeah you're like okay i'm saying this thing <laughs> but am i really feeling this way and do my actions really like who am i trying to fool like why am i it's it's it's, it's like kind of like i feel like when i'm not in alignment I, you're like okay it's either who am i trying to impress or mm. who do i think i'm kidding you know what i'm saying am i just saying certain things because i want the approval of someone else but i really secretly do xyz or feel xyz even though i say you know what i mean it's just right i, I don't know if i'm making any sense but yeah no absolutely it just, it, yeah you really have to be i think that's where self-awareness kind of kind of comes in and i didn't really become very self-aware i mean actually no i take that back i've always been very very self-aware but it was for all the wrong reasons um i was mm. very able to like pick apart things about myself um so i just i was just I'm, and i'm still very very self-aware but i've kind of flipped it to where it's it's definitely more positive than it is negative so but yeah having that self-awareness is is crucial because it's just a really important aspect of of who you are and the things you're, mm. you're going to do or capable of doing in my opinion so Agreed. i'm sorry that i kind of went off on a tangent on that no it's true but, um <laughs> <It's> true <laughs> yeah so what so i guess has rebecca have you found yourself or are you still looking for yourself i i have found me yes i have found me i found myself um there are obviously, you know, I don't think anyone ever finds themselves. And then it's like this goal that's done. I think it's an mm -hmm. ongoing goal, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I, I'm still, I'm still alive. So like, I, I, you know, we'll have, I have the desire to continue to grow and to learn, but I do feel like I'm living a life that's mine. It doesn't feel like it's somebody mm -hmm. else's anymore. It does not feel mm -hmm. like it's somebody else's anymore. And that feels, um, it feels genuine. So I, I have found myself. Yes. Mm. Were there any techniques or exercises or routines or self-care regimens or anything that kind of helped you in this journey to, to, to finding yourself? You know, I think I have had very supportive, um, like my guidance counselor in high school was very supportive. I, um, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've really engaged in like work with like mind body exercises, which at the time, you know, doing yoga because of my background, I was always taught yoga was like not okay. And that it was, you oh, know, you don't, you don't my know. my gosh. Yes. Well, because can we please talk about that? Oh. Time out. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. I did not mean to cut you off. That's okay. But can no, we no, okay. Yes, Rebecca, please. Let's talk about that really quickly because Right now, I am at odds with mm. that whole thing. See, I am I am a Christian, mm. and um, I was always like yoga, yoga, yoga. No, 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 no. But it got to the point where I'm not even trying to exaggerate. Even sometimes today, like you know, when you're small, the things that are ingrained, it's hard to 
to remove mm. old thoughts and patterns and habits and, 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 and things like that. So I was always taught that yoga is new age and, um, you know, you're, you're praying to certain gods. And I do think that that is a part of it, but I don't do yoga to, to honor different religious gods, you know, from other cultures doing the, the poses and, and things like that. I am doing yoga so that I can actually move my body. Yes. <laughs> and not yes. like a 75 year old woman in a 40 something year old woman's body. Yes. Um, <laughs> the same thing with meditation. Meditation is bad. Yoga is bad. Um, and I still even struggle to even call it those things. Like, for example, I don't say meditate a lot. Um, for me, I have to really make sure that it's comfortable to me for me. I have to make sure that I, um, get quiet. I call it silence, solitude. I'll say meditate every once in a while, but for me, it's more so like silence, solitude, breath work, breathing, things like that. I try not to use certain words, um, though it's not always avoidable. And that's because it's been so ingrained that these things are bad. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. There. So I, right. So I remember, I, I hear you. Like, I feel you. I remember thinking I was gonna, I remember reading about familiar spirits and my parent, like there was a lot of like talk in the group about like, you know, witches and, and familiar spirits and mediums and all of this. And so I definitely, I hear you. I grew up with a very deep fear of like all of that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I realized my parents used to have this book in their, they used to have a lot of like natural health books. And one of them was by this author um, called Jethro Kloss. And at one point I like looked through the book that they had and that they really like referenced a lot. And it had like yoga poses in it. And I think for me, mm -hmm. like when I was like, I was like, oh, Jethro Kloss endorses yoga. It must be okay. <laughs> like, and, and I think that was like my association. <laughs> like, um, but <laughs> like, 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 like my parents, they have this book and it has yoga in it. So like, maybe it's okay. So I remember hearing about the benefits of it. And I'm not going to lie. Like the first class I tried, I was like, I can't, and it wasn't even because of the of what we were talking about it was just more I got so bored I left but mm -hmm. honestly like there I think people have to really look at when people say these things about yoga and if they if they're like what what's like what scripture are you going off of that validates that like what are you what are you looking at that 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 kind of validates what you're saying and what your experience is because the reality is a lot of the people that have these opinions about yoga are also people who celebrate Christmas, which if you kind of look mm. into it, it's not about the birth of Christ. It is about a pagan holiday. Right. There's just all of that these double standards. And like, I think I'm very keen to those. And, and so I, it's hard for me to glom on. I think it came to a point where I just saw so many double standards and things that weren't lining up that I was like, I need to pull back from this. And, and yes, pray to God and believe in God, but not necessarily believe like, that because someone's telling me yoga is, is, you know, we don't, oh, we don't know what the Aum chant means that you can't do it. Like we do know what it means. <laughs> it, it, you know, like there's a saying that, you know, the light in me honors the light in you. And why is that? Why are we demonizing that? 
Like, why is that? Girl. Yes. I don't even know. I can tell you right now. I don't say namaste. I don't chant. I don't say, um, I just don't because, and I probably will be like this forever. Um, it is just a part of me. It is just a part of me now. It is above me now. It is just a part of who I am. Like, that will be it yeah, forever. And, but, and that's okay. I think yeah. that's your truth. I mean, if saying that, because, you know, when people say, when people say, um, or people say like namaste and, you know, people mm-hmm. kind of are like, oh, it means the light in me honors the light in you. Then if that, if that doesn't resonate with you and you feel uncomfortable, I don't think people should force themselves to do it. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. like, I don't think you yeah. should then force yourself to do it. But I think for me, I, there was just so much work that I, a lot of research and like looking into different practices. um, and and like this is probably for a whole nother topic but just <laughs> um <laughs> just books that were left like how like the gospel of thomas was left out of the bible but yet there's a scripture that says you can't take or add anything to the bible but then i'm like well why was the gospel of thomas taken out why were like like songs of Sus like there was all these books that were taken out and i think it's just the contradictions that kind of made me feel like i needed to pull back from what people who were telling me they knew what God wanted and try to figure that out for myself. Because one of the things I did find and like about yoga was the fact that there's this idea that you don't need to always subscribe to like external people to figure out what God wants you to do that, you know, you are able to kind of get yourself to a space where you should be able to get direction from God on your own without going through Mm -hmm. these other people. You know what I like? Because and yeah. like, like historically, that sometimes actually ended up in really abusive and oppressive situations. And I, um, I did like that. And it's not a non-belief in God. I think it's just rethinking about how we connect to God. Um, and, 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 you know, if, if it feels okay, I don't think people should like force themselves to, <laughs> to say namaste, just because, right. Just because someone says, yeah. oh, it means the lie to me, honor the light. And if it doesn't feel right, then I think people shouldn't do it. Right. Yeah. I'm like those devil worshipers talking about namaste. I'm not saying yes, that. I'm not saying it. Cause I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm conjuring up. Right. Like, I don't know what I'm conjuring up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm so glad you understand. Where I'm co- but this has been my life for 40 plus years. So no, I, I'm trying to do that. Yeah, I'm trying to do that work of really figuring out my beliefs and what I truly believe. You know what I'm saying? And trying to unlearn, like, for example, how, like, I don't even go to church anymore, which is a whole nother story. But I, I don't feel like I have to go to church Um anymore. I don't feel like I have to tithe. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't feel like that's right. something that God is telling me to do. I have my relationship with God. I pray to God yes. and, you know, I, and all that stuff. Um, but there's just some things I've started to kind of break away from, even though they were a part of my life for so many years. So, um, so I'm still in a very awakening learning Brie. And like you said, it's, it's not like a destination, like, Oh, okay. Now I know Rebecca and this is everything. Here's a whole list of a thousand things I know about myself and I have arrived, you know, it's not that at all. It's, it's definitely an, (laughs) an ongoing, you know, because the older we get, um, our situations change, we become involved into different people with every stage of, of our life. And I think that's a beautiful thing, but 
Mm. Yeah, just that whole yoga thing. And I have always struggled with that, like always struggle with that and just different things like that. Now, and and the same thing with like chakras and crystals and and all that stuff, that for me is still like a huge, like red strobing light. You know what mm. I'm saying? Like, I don't ever do any of that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I, I'm slowly starting to really figure out what's good for me and what I feel like God is telling me to do and what, and who God is telling me to be. So I completely understand where you're coming from with all that. That's, you just hit the nail on the head with that one. Yes. And it's hard. Cause you know, I feel like in our society, like in our like religious societies and religious cultures, it's very subversive to say what I'm saying, even though I'm not saying anything <laughs> like, I, like, I, I, you know, I, I try to be very, I don't want to like people that do follow. That's fine. I'm just saying what my individual path was. Um, and I did, when I first went to college, I did, I wore the dresses. I really gave it a concerted effort until I started to look at all of the things that, you know, that didn't make sense. And one of the things that I was looking into was the Nag Hammadi library when I was in college, like there's a lot of things that came up where I just really started to question the establishment. And then I think in 2016, um, with what was happening politically and where a lot of evangelical Christians stood with that, that really kind of like, you know, did it for me as far as me understanding yeah. what we were working with <laughs> or what I was working yeah. with. Um, and, and, and if it was actually meaningful and authentic to me. Mm. and where my true and where my truth was mm. I think that's so important like these days it's just like all about your truth yes you know that's that's what it's all about like above all and, above pretty much all else yes and and not in an ice not in like a silo either when I say my truth right I think everyone people's truth can happen in a silo but I think that needs to happen from like you've been out there, you've, you've had different experiences, right? Like you haven't lived because mm -hmm. I was in a silo and then I kind of made efforts to make sure I, my life was not in a silo, you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. and so the, from, from that experience is where I kind of gathered like those more broad cross perspectives is where I kind of landed where I am today. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as we kind of wrap up this call um, or this session, I should say, this podcast session, um, if there was a way that you could connect with younger Rebecca and offer her some advice or, or healing words or love or anything like that, what would you say to her? Hmm. I think one of the things that I would say is that you don't have to keep asking yourself what you need to change for people to like you. Hmm. That was a big, like, if there was a thought bubble above my head, there was always this kind mm -hmm. of things of like, my goals were always what I was going to do to make myself more likable or more popular mm -hmm. or more accepted. That was a running theme. It kind of, um, you know, and so I think I would just tell, I would tell little Rebecca <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> you don't have to do that. You like, I think at that point, I, if I could have, I would have liked to see me plug more into things that I was interested in and make that more the center instead of me centering all of the like 
chaos and like difficulties I was having because I am mm-hmm. also a very anxious person. And so I like to fix things. And so it was kind of like, okay, what do I need to do to make people like me? What do I need to do to make this happen? And that's not the life of a child. Like that's not a childhood, right? So I, I would no. I would tell Rebecca <laughs> to stop doing that and to start like plugging into things that I like start putting my energy more towards the things I found enjoyable, like singing mm. and, and animals and just like, I've always loved, <laughs> which is going to probably sound funny, but I've always loved like, um, like horror movies and like amusement parks. Like I've always loved those things. And so like, I mm-hmm. just trying to center things that I like instead of centering all the things that are wrong with me and like what I need to do to fix them. Hmm. I think that's excellent advice, Rebecca. And it's something definitely that even uh, older Rebecca and and pretty much anyone that's listening can can really uh, connect with that message that you would give to your younger self. Well, yeah, that's basically our time. I want to thank you so very much for joining me on this session today, Rebecca. Thank you, Brie, for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. That is it for this week's episode. Um, I want to thank again, Rebecca, for being so awesome and sharing her story. I learned so much um, in just that short amount of time, and it really helped me. These episodes, I'm hoping, are helping you too, but they really helped me just to learn more about myself, think a little differently, uh, stretch you know, mentally, just my beliefs and things like that. So I'm so honored. Um, that she was, she is a part of, of my journey of learning. So I wanted to just really quickly before I wrap up, just say that since this episode was recorded, which was a few months ago, um, the reason why I wanted to just kind of do an update is because I feel like I need to be authentic. I need to, to just be honest about, um, the things that I share on the show as much as I possibly can. And one of the things that jumped out to me when I went back and re-listened to this episode was how I was saying, you know, I was struggling with doing yoga, with meditation, um, things like that. And, and that is true. Um, but what has definitely changed for me is that now I'm like just pretty much solid on the fact that for my faith journey, for my walk, um, with God, I do not do yoga and I don't do what is traditionally known as meditation. Um, for me, meditating is um, meditating, meditating, excuse me, on God's word. Um, so what would look like mainstream meditation for me would just be more so what I've always done, being still, being quiet, um, taking time to think and reflect and things like that. And then as far as yoga, that's just something that I've ultimately decided Um that I, I will not do. Um, I feel like God has steered me away from that for, for me and for my journey. And so I just wanted to, just to share that and, um, just be upfront and say that because again, as of this recording that I did, I, excuse me, that I did with Rebecca, um, I was, I, I just wasn't sure what direction I was supposed to be going in. And I was leaning more towards doing that, but things have been confirmed that, 
for me for my walk they're just not they're just not for me so i want to make sure that i mentioned that i hope that you enjoyed this week's episode if you have any questions you can always email me at connect at browngirlselfcare.com or hit me up on uh, instagram or facebook and with that i hope you have a wonderful week and i will see you on the next episode